and and I think that that's what I want to do in my ministry. I want to have that flexibility and creativity and diversity. I want to speak Spanish. Mm. I want to speak English. I want to be serious. I want. I also want to be humorous. I want to be deep, but I want. I want to be shallow. I want. You know, I just want it all um, because I feel like the more diverse your ministry is, the more things you add to your ministry the more you're capable of reaching a greater number. Welcome to the Hacka Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorn. I hope you all are doing well. I don't know about you, but I'm excited because today we are blessed to be joined by Luame Diaz. Luame Diaz is an international evangelist that has ministered all over the world. He ministers both in English and Spanish, and he has traveled uh, across the world over these last uh, 20 years or so as an evangelist all across America. He is a powerful preacher and gifted communicator of the gospel. If you've never heard him preach, I encourage you to find one of his many sermons on YouTube. Uh, You will really enjoy it, and you will leave change because of his ministry. I first met Luwami 10 years ago when he ministered at our Transfusion Youth Weekend, and we have been blessed to have him back multiple times over the years. I know you will enjoy this as much as I did, so let's get to the conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today, bro. Man, it's it's a pleasure and an honor to be here and to be able to share and talk and discuss. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm sure uh, all of my listeners from the Sydney area are going to be really stoked to have you on here after having you for a number of years at the POS and uh, yeah, get to know you a bit more. But I'm grateful that um, you availed yourself. You set time aside for this conversation tonight. Absolutely. You know, I've actually been in Australia, I think, has it been like four times now? Three, four times? Um, and um, yeah, it's been four times. Yeah, you, you did. Uh, you did our enta- encounter conference twice, and then you did the youth. Oh no, you did encounter once, but you did transfusion and another mm-hmm. our youth conference twice, and then you also came for uh, Easter weekend when Pastor right. abandoned us. Right. You came in and and, and saved the day <laughs> and did Easter for us. Yeah. I think my, I have to say that my favorite experience out there was probably climbing the um, the bridge. It was probably it was probably one of my favorite um, experiences. And the one thing that I've been wanting to do, pastor won't take me, but I said I want to go see a kangaroo in his natural habitat i've never been able to see that yeah i lived in i lived in australia for almost two years before i actually saw a live kangaroo in the wild i'd seen heaps uh roadkill but it took me nearly two two full years before i actually saw one out and about if you go to canberra you you they'll drive you to a field and you can see dozens of them straight away really yeah, you're just in the wrong That's spot. That's why I need to drive. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, what was interesting is, um, I forget who I was, I was with, but I, I told them about it and they, they took me out to some park, random park. And they said, they're usually around here somewhere. And I thought, <laughs> I thought to myself, are you serious? Like, is there a, I mean, it was just a random, like cul-de-sac type place with a park uh you know there was a park uh behind it and they said they're usually around here i don't know what's going on and um so i don't know they weren't there but that's that's i want to do that i will uh, definitely do that. no not to um not to upset my friend greg wilmot but uh we will not be bringing up lebron james on this conversation so we won't have <laughs> a repeat of our drive down to shell harbor to watch the the footy game we had like a 30 minute discussion, passionate discussion back and forth. Absolutely. A lot more passionate than we were at church. <laughs> oh man. Well, I wanted to uh, get into talking to you um, a bit of, about your background. I like to start off these conversations with the guests giving us uh, a bit of, you know, where they're coming from, the type of worldview that they present and, and how they grew up. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with us a, a bit of, uh, you growing up and, and what that was like. Sure. So um, it's a little complex because I've, I've been everywhere. Um, so I was born in the Dominican Republic out in the Caribbean, Caribbean Island. Um, so my first language is Spanish. I am full Dominican. I was also born a pastor's kid and I was brought to the States when I was five years old. Um, we got here on a religious visa. visa, mm -hmm. And yeah, and then we, we went through the process at, you know, we filed an application to stay. It took us a while, but we got our, um, our residence, residency here, uh, our green card, mm -hmm. and then uh, nationalized. Uh, so that was the process, uh, raised in New York from about six years old, five, well, maybe six years old until I went over to Bible school in Stockton. So I have lived in the Dominican, um, New York, Stockton, California, mm -hmm. back to New York, back to Stockton, then finished that off, then, um, got married went back to New York and from New York lived in Hawaii for a year, mm. um, waiting for the birth. Eh, it was a little less than a year waiting for the, uh, that's where my son Caleb was born, then came back to New York. Then from New York, went to Phoenix, lived there 10 years. And then from Phoenix, went to Pearland, Texas, which is basically Houston. Mm -hmm. And then now I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. And more than likely, this is not permanent. So stay tuned. Wow. And then on, That's top, my background. And then on top of all of that, you're a traveling evangelist. So you're living all these different spots, but you're also traveling out week after week. Yep. I think when yep. I first... I think when I first met you, you were living in Phoenix. That's where you're at. Is that right? That would have been. I would say so. Yeah. 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 You're right. 2011. I was in Phoenix. So. I you... love Phoenix. Oh yeah, it's nice. 
Yeah, it's from what I've heard. It um, people say it's quite similar to Sydney in the weather. Obviously, they don't have the the beaches that we have, but um, is no. that is that accurate? You reckon? Weather wise, is Sydney hot? It is, but the problem is, is you tend to be coming out. I think you have come over either in uh, autumn, is what they say here. They don't say fall, autumn or winter. Every time you've come, I don't think you have come in summer, which would be uh, our December, January, February. Oh yeah, no. Uh, when I'm usually it's April. Um, yeah, I've I don't think I've ever been there that early, like mm. December, January. does it does it get like really cold in sydney uh i mean here in indiana so no (laughs) no but uh like in comparative terms but uh like we'll get down to around zero centigrade so zero celsius which would be around 32 35 that'll be the coldest yeah and that's below freezing point right very rarely will we get to negative one, which would be below freezing. Um, but typically, like this winter, the coldest has been is maybe two or three degrees in the morning. And that's like early in the morning. It's never that cold throughout the day. Like your coldest day would be, you know, 11, 12, 13 degrees Celsius, which would be in the, what, 50s, I would guess. I think that's... Mm-hmm. After yeah. all these years that's here, nice. yeah, yeah. After all these years here, I still haven't gotten good at uh, translating Fahrenheit and Celsius, it's not straight up. I, I gave up. <clears throat> I gave up. I, I was trying to translate. I was translating for a man like he was preaching in English and I was translating into Spanish. And, um, you know, it's here in the States. So I was trying to do Fahrenheit um, when and he was doing Celsius. It just boggled my mind how horrible I failed. Horribly I failed at that. It was awful. Yeah, it's always and a guess. I, yeah. And so I finally said, you know what? Just you go research it. Ask Siri on your way home. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, uh, you said that your parents pastored in New York. I, I believe, was that uh, the Bronx that you grew up in, in New York? Yes. Yes. I grew up in the Bronx, grew up in the South Bronx. Rough you know, rough area. I grew up in the era where hip hop was being, was born or rap, rap music was born in the streets. Mm. Where, when I grew up, that's when it was, um, it was born in the streets. Um, so that was my, that was our culture, like shootouts everywhere, stabbings everywhere drugs everywhere but um man i made it i was, mm-hmm. just today i was looking at some pictures from the bronx and i was a little shocked i used to play ball so um I was a little shocked at how far i've come from those days but yeah it was a uh, it, it was a rough rough uh, let me let me explain how crazy it was it was so crazy that we as kids we would sit up on the roof of our building six maybe six floor building and we would sit on the roof of our building on Saturdays and literally shoot Jehovah's Witnesses with BB guns from the sixth 
from the roof. So you shoot, pow, hope to hit somebody and then run. I mean, that's that was just normal shenanigans. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can go on and on, but that's basically how we did it. Wow. And, uh, and your dad, did your dad actually pastor in the Bronx or just lived in the Bronx? He pastored in the Bronx. So my dad pastored in the Bronx. Then we moved to Manhattan, started a church there. Mm -hmm. And then we brought that church to the Bronx. So we transferred that church back to the Bronx. Um, but, um, and that church is still in operation, still going. But yeah, my, my dad pastored in the Bronx. So most of my childhood memories are from the Bronx. Mm. And you, you hinted at uh, being pretty good at basketball. Did you do, um, what was that like playing, playing ball in that type of environment? So I played organized ball, uh, but my senior year, the reason why I grew up with a, um, an extremely conservative father, mm -hmm. uh, did not allow sports or anything of that nature. Um, it was a very secular at the time. And, um, so um so i so the way it happened was my coach he had seen me a couple times he you know he talked to me but i was walking down the hallway one time and he stopped me and he said he said hey you have something i need and um on, on my team and he was the basketball coach and you know, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, he's probably seen me play during recess or, you know, he's, he's watched me play at the, at the court somewhere. So, and so I was pretty excited about that. I was like, really? Yeah. Okay. And then he goes, and it's height. <laughs> and <laughs> that just burst yeah. my bubble. But anyway, um, <clears throat> long story short, I went back home and I pleaded with my dad to let me play. Uh, you know, to this day, he never gave, he never gave me an answer. He didn't mm -hmm. say yes. He didn't say no. But the fact that he didn't, he didn't answer was my cue that I guess it would be okay. Uh, it would be okay, but he was uncomfortable with it. Mm. You know, he, I, I guess he didn't, he didn't want to say no. He didn't want to say yes, but he didn't want to say no for my sake. So a good compromise is he never came to any of my games. And this is this is hilarious. My family never came to any of my games. They went to one game because I really, I asked them, it was uh, an all-star game that we were playing against the likes of like Stefan Marbury. Uh, who else was there? A guy, uh, there was a guy named Felipe Lopez. He went into the league. Mm -hmm. There were some younger, okay, a couple of younger guys that, that were actually playing, but they were um, behind us. But they, they were playing was like a Lamar Odom, mm -hmm. um, Ron Artest, or Meta World Peace now. <laughs> the point is, the point is, it was stacked. I mean, like, this tournament was stacked with players that actually made it, went to college, went to, to the NBA. And um, so I pleaded with my parents. It was on my, it was my AAU team. 
I pleaded with my parents to go um, watch me because, you know, it was a huge deal and I had nobody. Everyone's family was always in the stands and stuff and I had no one. Um, so I'd go to all these games all by myself. So this is the one game my whole family showed up. I mean, my whole family, uh, well, my immediate family, my mother and my dad and my, and my two sisters all showed up. And, you know, they stuck out like a sore thumb <laughs> because we're in Brooklyn. Um, it's It was one of the most ghetto audiences that you could ever find, you know, and they're going crazy. I mean, you know, cussing up a storm and you've got these four live in a bubble, never seen sin in their lives, um, family sitting up in the stands, just <laughs> looking around, scared out of their mind. But anyway, here is the, the craziest thing. I think I averaged my senior year, <clears throat> I averaged 18, I want to say 18 points or something like that, 17, 18 points, maybe. Um, this one game, it's the only game ever I scored zero. Oh, no. Zero oh, point. No. And um, the one day now, my I don't think my parents really get the game of basketball or at the time anyway. So it didn't really they were just proud of me like, wow, you're you're playing something like you're an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> but I was so embarrassed. The one time my parents came to see me, I scored zero, zero points. I think we lost that game. I scored zero points. Ironically, the next game I killed and they, they, they didn't show up. <laughs> they weren't there. And I killed. And um, anyway, yeah. so it is put too much pressure on yourself yeah that's yeah. probably what it was yeah i grew up in Let's a, go with that i grew up in a similar background i was chuckling a bit when you said you had a strict dad uh who would yeah. you know that organized sports were secular i didn't play any organized sports growing up though i wanted to play all of them and uh i think i got to, i did uh sim, somewhat similar to you one year in high school i did cross country so that was the uh mm. And um, wore tights underneath the shorts and all that, so made sure yeah, that it was yeah. godly. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day, like that, you know, being involved in organized sports was not really something you did. So you grew up in an environment like that as a pastor's son. At what point did you feel the call to ministry? Honestly, I I always want to say that it was when I was ten. <clears throat> That's when I want to say that I definitely felt like that's the direction I would take. But even before then, like I was sort of like a child prodigy. Like I would, um, they would put me up on buckets out on the street corner and have me preach as early as like eight years old. And I would preach and I would draw a huge crowd. Because, you know, it's just an eight-year-old kid on a bucket preaching in the middle of the street or whatever. People right. just love it. 
they heard nothing I said, but they just loved the fact that I was a kid and I was preaching. So I think it was at 10, at 10 years old, I felt like, like, you know what? I think this is it for me. This is what I want to do. And I, I remember exactly where I was when I felt like this is really, really it. Hmm. Uh, well, I, and let me just say this. I've had several experiences like that. Well, I wouldn't say several, but at least two. The definite, definite one was at 10. And then there was one that was even earlier than that, um, where I felt like, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to go this route. This is what I want to do. But the, I think the one where I felt like was the most definitive and the most personal for me, um, just on my knees, God and I was at 10 years old at 1574 Beach Avenue. That was my um, apartment building, apartment 4N. Don't know who lives there now, but that was that's where we lived. Wow. And that's where I got called. I feel. Wow. So did you, were, so were you preaching quite young? You said you were preaching on the street. Were you preaching uh, in the area as well and at your church when you were, say, a teenager? Yeah, it wasn't as often, but um, so my first indoor message was at 10. And then I would preach maybe once or twice a year. I'd preach like once or twice a year after that. And then it wasn't until I was about 16-ish, maybe 15, 16, maybe 16, that it started picking up. Like I preached at the church a couple times and then I went and um, like different churches started asking me to come and speak at their youth events. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started preaching youth services. And then I think I was either six, I think I was 16. The first time I got asked to preach outside of like, it was either 16 or 17. It was the first time I, I was asked to preach outside of my district. Like a, it was in Lynn, Massachusetts, and I preached a revival. Actually, it was Boston, Boston, Massachusetts. It was a church from Lynn, but they were using uh, a building in Boston. Uh, that's where I preached my first like revival. And just to give you an idea of how innocent and how pious I was at the time. Mm -hmm the pastor came over and handed me an offering. And at the time I was 16 and this was a while back and it was just a bunch of twenties in a, in a envelope. And it was a pretty thick envelope with like twenties everywhere. That's all I remember. And I just remember, I was so offended by that. Um, I was like, no way. I said, no. And he kept trying to, and I said, no, absolutely not. Thank you so much. But no, I cannot um, take that. And, um, it, it, you know, it was foolish in a sense, because there's a church that's trying to sow into your ministry and you're, right. and here you are rejecting their, uh, you know, their, their gift to you. And it's unbiblical because, you know, a laborer is, is worth his hire, is worthy of his hire. But um, at the time, 
I didn't know Bible like that. It was just, I admire the sentiment. I admire that I was in that place, that I was so pure, if, if you can say, say it like that. I'm so untouched yet by um, vanity and the world at large, I guess, that I, it was awful to me to even think of something like that. Um, but yeah, that was in Boston, Massachusetts. So did you, did you start evangelizing uh, while you're 16, 17, 18, or was that sort of like a one-off? No, that was a one. And like, I would go speak at places, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like frequent like that or even right. consistent. I would say um, I actually went, the, I planned, I went to plant a church when I was 19. So I got out of high school, went to secular college. And while I was at secular college, went and planted a church in New Jersey. And then um, from there, I went to Bible school. And while I was at Bible school, that those were the that's when I first got the idea of, of evangelizing. And it the way it happened was very organic and very unexpected. It was just I was at Bible school. I wasn't looking for an invitation, wasn't, you know, wasn't looking for it. And a friend of mine just asked me to go, you know, if, if I would speak for his dad. So I said, sure. So I went, I spoke at his dad's church and I guess it went great. You know, they weren't expecting that kind of ministry from, from someone in Bible school. Mm -hmm. um, so I, bro, word gets out. And I don't even, I can't tell you how, but I guess that guy came back and word got out, man, this dude can preach. I'm guessing that's probably mm -hmm. the kind of word that got out. And so, you know, all of those students represent a church somewhere. Right. So as word is starting to get out, especially in California, people are starting to call their pastors or when you talk to their parents, they're like, man, you need to have this guy. I'm guessing that's the way it happened because all of a sudden I start getting phone calls from people I didn't even know. Hey, come, can you um, preach here? There's a guy, oh, you would know him, Simeon Costa. Mm -hmm. yeah. He uh, called me up once and said, and I don't even think Simeon had ever heard me preach before, but I guess because that was the the ongoing thing or what people were saying that you know this guy can preach um simeon was slated to preach a revival at a church in merced where sam emory preaches now or pastors now mm. and uh, he couldn't make it and so he called me and he said hey bro i gotta go but uh, i can't go but is there any way that you can make it tonight so i did bro the rest is history when i tell you I think that was my first time preaching in English. I don't think I'd have ever preached in English until I was 19, 20. Oh, wow. Um, uh, well, I take that back. Like the church that I started was English speaking in New Jersey, mm -hmm. but it's really different when you're talking to three people. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. You're teaching a Bible study or you're preaching. Yeah, the Bible. you're talking to, <laughs> I was talking to seven people and like six of them were homeless it's it's really really different um so 
man, I just remember going to Merced and, and preaching. And uh, they had a, um, a pastor, Brother Yandris, at the time, Nathan Yandris. This guy, I preached. It went really well. But I was in Bible school, bro. Like, I was a one-trick pony. I had one message. And that was, like, the message. <laughs> that was it. So he brought me back. And I went and I preached again. But the problem is, it wasn't as good the second or third time, you know. But he kept bringing me back. And I had no idea why, because I always, I remember feeling like, man, I just bombed. Like that was the, the most awful thing you've ever heard. And he kept bringing me back, kept bringing me back. And honestly, that church right there probably put me through Bible school. I, I just kept preaching there. That's where I started getting my, um, I, I got my chance there. And um, Nathan Yandris never gave up on me. He mm. kept bringing me back, kept loving me, kept telling me I was amazing, well, even when I knew I wasn't. Um, but he, he kept bringing me back. Um, and then there was another church that did the same too. It was in Santa Ana, California. And um, at the time, that was a, a pretty big church and I would preach in their Spanish and they didn't know that I really hadn't preached in English much but they would also have me speak in the, at their uh, English service and so I'd preach there and same deal he'd keep bringing me back and bro I'm telling you I think that people don't realize sometimes that um, there are key people that God places in your life, especially at the beginning of your ministry, mm -hmm. uh, that just really believe in you and are willing to overlook some of the immaturity and mistakes and just keep giving you a chance. I almost equate it to, uh, you know, on, on a basketball team or on a sports team, but, but you see this on a basketball team. Um, how there's a guy at the end of the bench um, who's not very, um, we would call him a scrub, but I don't you know if that's a bad word. That's all right. So, that's good. All right. So there's a guy at the end of the bench, isn't good enough, but sometimes, in, you know, a coach just seems to, to like him, puts him in, um, has a certain affinity for him because maybe maybe his defense or his energy or there's something about him that the coach likes and the coach keeps bringing him in. But the more this coach brings him in and gives him that experience, the more this guy's developing in-game experience and the more he is honing his skills. Mm. And that's exactly what happened for me, at least in the English, on the in the English side of things. They kept bringing me back and I would bomb. It was horrible, but they kept bringing me back. And um, finally, uh, let me just say this. To this day, I don't feel like I'm an evangelist. I've never accepted that call. Mm. I've never felt like I was an evangelist. It's just that 
that's all I've been doing. I mean, I've tried to quit a million times. I've literally tried to quit a million times. Every year, every year I say, okay, this is the year. What am I going to do? I'm going to corporate America. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be an investor. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to, I mean, I have a million ideas uh, because I've never felt this call to be an evangelist. Uh, as a matter of fact, sometimes I feel uncomfortable with the title of right. evangelist because first of all, because I don't do what true evangelists did in the Bible um, or at least in the New Testament sense. So it well, makes me a little uncomfortable. What do you mean by that? Well, an evangelist was uh, like, let's say Philip. Um, he would go into an area that was um, unchurched, uh, like Samaria, mm -hmm. and he would go and evangelize. Basically, he was a messenger that was sent by God. He would he would bring the good gospel, and he would um, start something, and then he'd leave it, and then other people would come and you know grow the church and water it and bring structure. But basically, an evangel an evangelist was sort of I guess sort of like a church planner, mm -hmm. if you know, if we could call it that, more of like a church planner that like, would come in, maybe gather like a missionary. Yeah, yeah. Except that missionaries, for example, like Paul, is more than an evangelist in the sense that missionaries would come into an area, they would start a church, but they would also start churches, mm -hmm. and they would be. You know, missionary is also um, was in charge of churches under him and stuff yeah. of that nature, just kind of running the region, you right. know, whereas an evangelist was kind of like a one shot thing. Just go in where the gospel is not reached, preach the gospel, gather people and then go see an Ethiopian eunuch mm. over in a desert somewhere. So he was just moving everywhere wherever he was called so in a sense i guess you know the moving part the transient part is kind of what i do the itinerant ministry yeah but and i see why people call it an evangelist because of the itinerant itinerant aspect of it mm -hmm. um but as far as like what really took place uh, I don't think, I don't think I'm an evangelist in that sense. And because of that, I've never really connected with the title. I've never felt a call to it. I just do it because people keep calling. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't call anyone. I don't, I don't have a business card. I don't have a website. I don't have product. I don't have books. I don't advertise. People just call. And my schedule just gets full. And so uh, so because of that, I just figure, well, the Lord hasn't really shut this door down. Mm -hmm. So this must be a God thing. Right. And, and so I'm still here. Yeah. And I don't mean this in any negative sense whatsoever, but I felt with your ministry, there's more depth to it than your classic evangelist, like your classic evangelist who comes in and tends to give like a different spin on the gospel or, you know, talks about gift of faith and that sort of thing. 
but your ministry has a depth to it, even when you're traveling, which, uh, I mean, I've done a little bit of preaching out and that sort of stuff, and uh, that, that's quite difficult to minister at a deeper level when you're coming into a church that um, you're not so familiar with. Right, 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 right. Um, and, and I think, you, you know, I feel like the reason for that is because I don't really have a conviction. I don't have conviction behind my evangelist call. And because of that, I am not going to force something that I'm not. Um, I'm not a gatherer. I'm not a, um, you know, I'm not a gatherer per se. I preach like a pastor. I preach like a teacher because that's who I've always, that's what I've always seen myself as. Um, so I think that if you're going to call it a five-fold ministry, I think it's more like a four-fold ministry because pastor, teacher, in the Greek seems to be the same, um, same office, pastor, mm -hmm. teacher. So I think it's more of a, pa a, a fourfold ministry. But if you were really going to identify me, I guess, in that fivefold ministry or fourfold ministry, I would probably be somewhere around pastor, teacher, hmm. maybe more teacher than pastor. Yeah. But that's probably why my messages are a little more structured. There's, you know. I just think also like they, the concepts, the things that you deal with tend to be on a deeper level as well, like in your sermons. That's when I'm talking about depth, you know, there's the theology there, you know, obviously. And actually, I think this will lead us into our next question, but there's like the theology there, but there's an, also a, a spiritual depth to your ministry. You know, I remember you preached an entire message about anxiety, and you don't, you don't yeah. hear that from evangelists. Like you would, you would never hear a message like that from the typical yeah. evangelist. But powerful message and really impactful for those who are there. Right, 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 right. But honestly, that's a very pastoral topic. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I think that that's why, uh, because I think a lot of pastors bring me in they bring me in to basically say the same thing they've been saying in a different way hmm. or just a different perspective on what they've there's they've been saying to the church hmm. you know i don't think any pastor really brings me in because they think this guy's going to bring all these unbelievers to you know and that's what i'm saying that i don't that's no, i've never claimed to have that calling that that ministry per se but I think that pastors bring me in because they know this guy's going to minister to my church mm. and he's going to say what I've been saying, but he's going to say it differently. And he's going to say it in a, in a unique, from a unique perspective. So that's what keep, it keeps me busy, I guess. <laughs> well, this is, this question here is for the preachers that listen to the podcast. And as you could probably already tell, uh, in this conversation, I love your preaching, the sh your structure, the way you develop your sermons. The, uh, there's a you could tell that there is a lot of thought. There's a lot of effort that goes into development of your sermons, as well as the topics that you address. And this was a question I actually got from Pastor. I asked him, "Hey, it, I'm about to have uh, Lomi Diaz on the podcast. Do you have any questions that you would ask him?" He goes, "Yeah, 
how do you know what to preach? And what I mean by but what we mean by that question is, how do you know what to preach both in study and in execution? Because you're preaching at different venues, you know, preaching in different languages, all these different things. So what is your guiding light when it comes to um, how do you know what to preach uh, in, in through your study, through your execution of the message? So, okay, I, I'm, I'm a little different in a sense. Um, I, I don't necessarily plan certain messages for certain events. I just, when it, if it was up to me, my messages would be a lot more uh, sequential mm -hmm. and just going through the Bible. But obviously, you I don't have a church where I could do that. So, um, so I just kind of have to, you know, uh, topics are open and you just kind of go, unless you're preaching at a conference and there's a theme. And so they ask you to preach on a certain subject. Right. But for me, this is very different than everybody else, I, I think. I don't plan to preach a certain message for a certain conference. And that's why I struggle when, for example, churches nowadays, they want your title and your texts um, and, and your scriptures three and four days in advance. And I'm like, man, like, bruh, there's times where I'm at the pulpit, literally at the pulpit going, this is not it. And, and so I'm over here, like, you know, trying to buy some time. Right. So I'm like, Hey, why don't y'all clap again? <laughs> so people, <laughs> so it's two minutes of clapping and I'm still like, uh, I'm not feeling this. This is not, that just happened to me this, this last weekend I was at, uh, in Portland and that just happened to me. So I, I get up and first they tell me you're speaking in English and they're going to translate for you into Spanish. It was, it was a district uh, men's conference. And so, man, I had a message. I thought I was, you know, and then that didn't happen. Uh, or, or I got in the car, I was ready to go to church and the brother said, Hey, listen, plans have changed. So now you're preaching one language. So I said, great. So I started looking uh, while I was in service, just looking at the different subjects, nothing was really standing out to me. Uh, finally, I thought like, eh, I could probably do this, this one. So I got up behind the pulpit and um, I'm giving my preliminaries. I'm, I've got my iPad open. And right when I was about to tell him to go search for a certain scripture, sure enough, this translator comes and stands right next to me and starts translating. So I look at him, I'm like, what, what's going on? I thought, you know, but I couldn't say this, obviously. So I just said, uh, I went, I'm going to have that. Why don't you turn to your brother, two or three of them, maybe eight, and just go and hug them and tell them you love them. And you know, let's just fellowship for a little bit. So, um, so, you know, everyone's out there high-fiving each other or whatever. And I turn to him and I'm like, Hey bro, so are you, 
are you supposed to translate what what's because i don't the message i've got really doesn't go with well with translation so anyway long story short we discussed it and stuff and i said hey would it be okay if you go and you know sit next to i don't know who and just translate for them out there because there was only like two people that needed, they needed it yeah yeah so he was like oh yeah, yeah sure so he he got down and um and then that changed because when he told me that only two people needed translation they only needed translation into english so then that changed everything because now i'm like well then the majority here are spanish right so then the message i was going to preach was going to be english so now i had to so i switched that message three times in a period of like 10 minutes and bro it's a message i had not preached in forever but i will say this um, that's the benefit of having, um, you know, I do manuscripts and a, a lot of people really condemn that. And they say, no, you should let the Holy Spirit guide you and just do an outline, a small little outline, write some verses and just, just go up there and let the Holy Ghost guide you. I'm going to tell you that doesn't work. That doesn't work for me. The reason I do manuscripts is because this message is going to be preached. It may, it may be what's going to change is going to be my energy, the energy that I'm bringing out in the message and the audience, how the audience is receiving it. But as far as the message, I mean, 90% of that message is going to be the same exact thing. Mm. Um, and so I hadn't preached this message in years. I hadn't looked over the notes. I did not get to that service that day thinking I was going to preach it, but when all of this transpired, I said, this, this is it, this is it, this is gonna, bro, and I'm telling you, it was an amazing, amazing service, amazing service. So I guess what I'm saying is, I'm a little different in a sense, in the sense that when I prepare messages, like when I do sermon prep, and I try to do that uh, two, three times, well, probably more like four times, uh, if you include when I travel on a plane and sometimes in a hotel when I'm at the hotel. So maybe three to four days out of the week is when I sermon prep. And I will typically, it would take me about five hours um, a day to sermon prep. Um, and then I won't preach hardly ever. Have I preached a message the very week that I, sermon prep for it because usually i need about two weeks of that two week two full weeks because once i've got the structure and the skeleton now it's time to make it a sermon which means put the stories and the data you've collected in the right places find the humor here um try to you know i've already got all the basics down so i've got the grammatical, historical, literary, geographical context, the immediate context. I've, I've done all my studies. I've done all my stuff. And then even uh, the collection of data. So I've gone, gotten um, quotes and statistics and uh, to corroborate my point. But now what's lacking is 
making it a sermon because you're going to compile all of that, bring it, and it's a mess. Like you've got all this stuff, all these points, all this data, all this stuff, and you're going to try to make that a sermon. So I know I've taken a circuitive route to this answer, (laughs) but I guess what I'm saying is twofold. Uh, Number one, how do I know that um, what to preach I really don't until I'm in the service itself mm-hmm. and I get a feel for the crowd when I get a feel. And this is, um, I think some of like, if you're like a reformed pastor, you, you're current, you're going to cringe at what I'm saying, you know, because they're, um, they're a lot more structured in their sequence and stuff, but I just, I just get a feel for, for the crowd. And, and I feel like for me personally, you get a feel for the service because sometimes, bro, the crowd's energy is there mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not. Yeah. And sometimes if your energy isn't matching the crowd's energy, it, it's the word and it's going to minister regardless. But what I'm saying is, sometimes you're not you're not helping yourself with your delivery and you know it's going to be the difference between whether you're laboring through it or you know this is a smoother transition or a smoother transaction so that's how i that's how i do it i get there i get a feel for the crowd i i pray i ask god lord does this seem right you know Obviously, the Lord doesn't speak to me in audible voices or anything like that. But I just, I just plead with Him that that the Holy Spirit will be with me, that He would help me through this, and then that I'm making the the that He's guiding me to select the correct uh, message for the mm. day. So that's my process. No, that's fascinating, especially the the study aspect. That you spend that much time, and you can tell in in the sermons that you deliver that there has been a lot of thought and a lot of effort put into uh, the sermons. I remember uh, one of my favorite ones from you was actually a teaching session. This is one that I remember quite well. I I have a, a number of your sermons that I've enjoyed, but you know, I, I follow you on podcasts. You know, you preach at Tree of Life and and a few other yeah. churches, Perilyn. But there was one, it was, a, it was an anecdote, a story that you shared. You were talking about the importance of service, the importance of people you know, giving up their time and their energy and their effort to the kingdom, you're teaching about it. And you related it about this story where someone came up to you in the airport and was talking, to, you probably remember this, and mm-hmm. was talking about how a sermon that you had preached had ministered to them when they were in a really uh, tough spot. And you're thinking about, oh man, that's, wow, amen. Even through, uh, even through, this is how you relate it in, in, in a way only you can. But you're talking about, oh man, yeah, that was awesome how how it ministered to them, and then you went back through the process and of how that, I think it was a VHS or whatever it was, DVD mm-hmm. ended up in the house. How you know you had to have a sound tech, you had to have someone on the camera, you had to have someone producing it, someone who manned the table to to get the the thing out, and the whole process that went into that happening. It was just really cool, very memorable story. But uh, yeah. It, and and absolutely and i think that that just is a testament to 
the thought that you put into your messages and your anecdotes? I will say though, I will say this. Yes, and I, and I appreciate your, your your kind words because they help me. They help me in a sense that, so, you know, sometimes as an evangelist, you preach and you feel like, I don't know that people really know how much time and effort goes into preparing this or that, you know? Mm -hmm. It's almost like, that's with everything. I mean, like you go to the Olympics, people have prepared their whole life for a two minute routine. Right. And, you know, you see it and you're like, oh, you know, okay, whatever. And you don't know the amount of years mm -hmm. that people have, have placed and how much sacrifice and money and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that, that really helps me. Um, it, it's, it really encourages me, but I will say this for that specific sermon, I cannot take, I cannot take credit for the amount of thought I put into that story because that story came to me. I'm not going to say luck because we don't believe in luck, but in God's providence, it came to me as I was preaching oh, wow. the fir very first time I preached that. Um, and I preached that at a, uh, it was a, a volunteers banquet type um, setting. And I remember I was speaking and um, right as it got to the end, bam, that story came to me. And I told that story wow. and it was like amazing. Mm. And I thought, oh my goodness, how did that just happen? I just, it just came to me. So then I just went back and I put it in my notes so that I never forget. And and um, so I can't take credit for that <laughs> and my thoughtfulness for that one. But yes, um, yeah. to be frank with you, and I know there's not part of the, uh, this is not part of, of the the questions and answers, but um, we're kind of on the subject. But to be frank with you, I feel like I get a lot more excited about a message when I have a powerful story, especially when it's something that I've something personal, personal mm. story. When I, when I find a personal story, when it comes to me and I find a personal story to match with a certain sermon, that's when I really get excited because people will forget what you say, but people will never forget a story. No. I mean, 10 years, 20 years later, people will say, man, I remember you came to my church, bro. I don't remember the title. I, rem I don't really remember what you spoke about that day, but you said something about your dad and you said something about this. And you said that you remember that you, and I know exactly what message you're talking about because you know, that's the story that that's, you know, so people remember a story narratives yeah. are, and that's why Jesus used parables basically is so that people wouldn't remember. Yeah. They're, they always, uh, they always minister powerfully. And I think that's also why people love podcasts so much, especially if you're diving into an individual story, because it's just, you want to learn about that person, not just about what they sure. have to say, but also about them as an individual. Um, sure. Getting back to a little bit about uh, evangelizing, uh, 
had a couple questions here before we uh, start to wrap this up. But uh, you've been preaching as a quote-unquote evangelist for how long now? Oh, man. Um, I will say there's been a couple of years that I haven't done it, per se, but a solid 20-something years. <laughs> wow. Five. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and uh, just in the last, say, like month or so, uh, you know, I follow follow you on Instagram, and, and we've been uh, messaging back and forth trying to set this up. And you get a bit of an idea of the sort of stuff that you deal with. I, I saw you uh, translating for the bishop. I, is that right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think it was just uh, we tried to set this up two, last week or two weeks ago, and you got an impromptu call to, to preach at a general conference in was it in Mexico? Yes, 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 yes. I, I will probably say that has to be one of the most interesting, if not the most interesting conferences I've ever preached in my life. Um, because I'll tell you why. It's a circus. They call it a circus general conference. Okay. Okay. So what it is, it's it's a. Uh, uh, well, I'll give you a little of the backstory. 30 years ago, there was a family that was a, a circus family, a family of like acrobats and so forth, that were um, someone witnessed to them over in Mexico and they were saved. And they were still doing the whole, you know, their whole uh, routine and stuff. They got picked up by Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus which was performing three to six months into their, they were brand new, like babies in the Lord. And um, they were sent, uh, or they went on tour with them. And they were over at Madison Square Garden in New York City for two months. They stayed there for two months. So Daniel Scott called my father. Daniel Scott was a, a missionary and worked at headquarters and stuff. He called my father and said, hey, could you help us? This is a brand new family from Mexico. They are right now stationed in New York. They need help with discipleship. They need to be discipled. I mean, they know nothing. So my dad would go to the circus every single night. My dad would go and he would wait until the event was done and it would be late, like, really late at night. I remember him coming back in the wee hours of the morning every night. Um, And he'd have to go to work, but this is like faithfully, this is what he would do. So he went out there and taught them doctrine, taught them about the Bible. It's basically, they were getting um, a Bible school education that was being condensed into a month or two. Um, So that's what my dad did for them. Well, fast forward 30 years to now, so what happened was they were they were having this conference. Let me explain what kind of conference it is. They went back to Mexico and started evangelizing their um, fellow circus, you know, uh, people, families, and stuff. And they've had a revival of circus families get converted wow. in the last five to ten years or so. 
And at this conference, there were over 37 circuses represented. 37 of them. Wow. All right. So it's all circus families, their owners, everyone that's in the business of circus was there. Now, they're all at different stages in their decide, you know, their maturity, their, but they all, they're all baptized in Jesus name. They're all, I mean, it's amazing. They had over 300 and something get the Holy Ghost uh, during the services. So they're, you know, the circus people are bringing their friends and their families and, and also workers that, that aren't converted and owners and stuff. So they put up this big old circus tent and they have all sorts of people, hundreds of people piled up in this thing. And it's the craziest deal, bro, because you're in service and all of a sudden there are people doing somersault <laughs> like off <laughs> where you're like, what? Okay, let me explain. So during service, um, you know, everyone's at the altar and and then they had a couple of ushers come out and they uh, opened up the uh, the scenery kind of like so that there's a there there was a pathway from the pulpit all the way to the back of the tent right and so what they did was did now let me explain this is like during the service this is during worship so they put a uh, they put a balloon they or they taped the balloon on the pulpit at the at the front of the okay. uh, at, of the tent, and there is this guy that goes all the way to the back. He's a contortionist. Yeah. So this guy is all the way in the back. He's he's on two hands on his two hands, places his feet all the way up on top of his head, like from the back. He places his feet so he's all the way contorted they give him a bow and arrow and with his feet this guy shoots the balloon with his feet shoots the balloon from all the way at the back of the tent mid-worship that's the, during worship <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that was going on so you didn't even know where to look like you know there's a bunch of athletes and performers and stuff oh, and they're they're not they're really worshiping mm. they're really worshiping but from time to time like you'd have someone just pop a a somersault or do something where you're like what is going on here um uh. but bro it was the most interesting deal but you can't knock it unless you're there like mm. the sincerity the purity the people who are just they're new to the gospel and they're just like embracing it they're just mm. loving it and bringing their friends and their family and they may not understand all the ins and outs of holiness yet but man they're just excited about jesus and excited mm. about learning and doctrine and and they're so hungry and uh, so yeah, we had close to 400 receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost that night or uh, during the conference. It, it was just amazing. I that's would awesome. say that that's probably one of the most intriguing 
conferences of all time for me in the 20-something years that I've been doing this. Yeah, I was going to ask you for an interesting story, and I just mentioned that as an aside. I can't, that's amazing. That was just like no, two weeks you, And honestly, I probably would have struggled. I have a lot of interesting stories, but I probably would have struggled with finding one. And so when you brought that up, I said, man, this is a story I've got to tell because <laughs> that's got to be yeah, the incredible. craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, and then- But it was amazing. Off the back of uh, translating for the Eagles, so you're just uh, you're just going from strength to strength right now. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's it's my life right now. I saw someone say that when you were translating for Brother Bernard, that it, it was like David and Goliath. <laughs> <laughs> someone said it was more like a. Um, someone said it was like LeBron and Jerry West. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so you you've mentioned yeah. uh you're you're bilingual obviously uh you grew up uh, in a spanish home well in a, in a home where they spoke spanish you're not spanish but um you're dominican but uh and you preach both in spanish and english so you're week to week you'd be ministering in spanish conferences english conferences spanish churches english churches um what is something that the Western church, and by Western, I mean like English-speaking church, uh, what can they learn from their Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters that you've observed? I think that, hmm, I think with with Hispanics, there's a lot more passion Mm. involved. Even their worship songs, there are some worship songs, bro, that blow my mind. The the level or the the depth to the lyrics behind some of these songs. There's, for example, there's one song. There's a line in one song, and it says, "There's no, there's no greater place." I guess you have to get it more in Spanish, but it's just to me, it's just so beautiful. The gist of the song is, "There's no greater place than to be at His feet." And when you mix the lyrics with the music and the, it's just a, a beautiful song. And I think that there's, I feel like at least with me, whenever I speak in English, um, the English side of me gets more of my humor, probably gets more of my, um, my structure, my, you know, I, I feel like I have to, my delivery has to be right. All of my my studies have to be, you know, lined up. Mm-hmm. But when I preach in Spanish, bro, I just, I feel at ease because I know, well, most churches, not all churches, but most events, most churches, they're going to be right there with you. There's a hunger. They're there. They're, they're preaching with you. They want to hear more. They're, uh, they're actively involved in the message there's a kind of like a call and response they're they're worshiping with you they're preaching with you they're reading they're and and there's a yeah they're actively listening to what you're saying whereas i feel in the english realm and this is not necessarily a bad thing because we are commanded to be more critical and to be more like the bereans right but i feel with the english side of things 
it's it's more of that. It's more of a let's be a little more critical of of what's being said. Let's let's hear. Let's and that's not necessarily a bad thing, mm. but I feel like sometimes we can learn from the Hispanics or the yeah Hispanics in that there's a little more passion mm. um, in what they do. And they they really um, they love the Lord with all of their heart mm. and the heart being the seed of the emotions and, and that's part of it. So to me, a, per, a perfect balance of both would be an incredible setting. And you get that from time yeah. to time, Yeah. but um, that, that to me would be great. So mm. I think that's what we can learn. Passion. My wife, uh, you know, does music here, loves music. And I mean, she doesn't know, hardly any Spanish, you know, it's like maybe four words, but she'll listen, she'll listen to songs in Spanish just because of the sound and you can, you can feel it, you know, you can feel absolutely, passion, absolutely, sure. yeah. yep. absolutely. I like to, this will be my final question before, before we get towards the end. I like to ask this to everyone who comes on, what drives you when it comes to ministry? What is your passion when it comes to your ministry? Um, what drives me? Well, I think primarily what drives me is to glorify God in whatever I do. Um, I, I, I want God to be glorified. Um, most of my most of my sermons are very Christ centric, very um, God glorifying, or I hope they are. And um, that's that's what drives me. Number one, and then I feel like. Another thing that drives me is is my flexibility. In, in my ministry, I want to be like a ministerial Gumby. If I don't, well, actually, I don't know if Australians know who Gumby was, but an elastic man, if, mm -hmm. if I could say it that way, just kind of very um, flexible. I want to be able to reach everyone and I think it drives me to, like, if you notice in my, in, in my messages, something that I really, really work at actually is I want you to experience the whole gamut of emotions mm -hmm. when I preach. Mm -hmm. I want you to, I, I want the church to go crazy and worship, you know, and be dynamic, but I want you to think but I want you to laugh, mm. but I also want you to cry. And I, and I want you to sit there and go, mm, that really hit like that was deep or that, you know, I, I, I want to get it all from you. So you never know. I can be up here one time. I can be down here. I can, you just never know where I'm going. Um, but but there's a, there's a method behind the madness. The reason I do that is because not everyone's going to be reached through theology. Not everyone's going to be reached. Um, now, you want to reach everyone with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what I'm saying is not everyone is going to respond to that gospel right. through theology. They're not going to risk. Not everyone's going to respond through humor. Um, some are going to be there and go, oh man, that part where you cracked that joke about this and this, and that got me, you know, and that's really 
what set them up mm-hmm. to hear the rest of the message. Right, right. And then some, some people are going to be there and they're going through a season or something that really is going to open up the floodgates for them. And they're going to weep because of something that was said. And that's going to be their part. And then some are there. They're like, man, you just gave me tools to answer a question that I had no answer for, you know, biblically. Anyway, the point is what drives me is I want to be as diverse as possible in my ministry that to the Jew, I want to become a Jew. To the Greek, I want to become a Greek. Um, But that by any means, by any means necessary, as Malcolm X said, (laughs) but um, but that I that I may reach some, and and I think that that's what I want to do in my ministry. I want to have that flexibility and creativity and diversity. I want to speak Spanish. Mm. I want to speak English. I want to be serious. I want. I also want to be humorous. I want to be deep, but I want. I want to be shallow. I want. You know. I just want it all. Mm. I want to be able to play music from time to time. I don't do that as much or at all anymore, but you know, that that's what I want to do. I want to have the, I want to do everything. I want to do everything, a little of everything and just throw people off. Um, because I feel like the more diverse your ministry is, the more things you add to your ministry, the more you're capable of reaching a greater number of people. Yeah, that's a great answer. So, yeah. yeah, that drives me. Yeah, and you feel that, you do feel that in your sermons, that that you're touching different, and in relationship with you, in conversation, you know, you'll be cracking up, but then you'll be serious, and um, yeah, 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 uh, yeah it's, it's, it's plain to see that, um, that you're wanting to touch in all these different areas, especially when you're preaching. Well, I just want to yeah. thank you again for for coming on and, and giving your time and, and talking to us uh, today. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and surprised at some of the places that I went, but uh, I've really really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I, I'd like to give you an opportunity as we finish up here to share a word with the listeners. Uh, it could be anything that you feel like God has laid on your heart uh, for this podcast for the listeners of this podcast. So. In closing, I'd like to give you that opportunity to uh, share a word. Thank you, bro. Absolutely. So even as I, as we're recording this uh, tonight, um, we have uh, we've come to the realization that there is a a suicide bomber over in Afghanistan at the um, airport there airport there in Kabul, and um, I feel like what's happening in in Afghanistan right now should be a wake up call to all of us, should be a wake up call to the church, especially in our first country or first world countries. You know, we need to force ourselves to read every single piece of news that comes from Afghanistan as it relates to um, persecuted Christians, even when it makes us uncomfortable even when it turns our stomachs. And and why is that? Because in first world countries, our Bible doesn't make real sense unless we see it through the lens of Afghanistanian Christians. 
who are being persecuted. It really doesn't make too much sense. We, you know, when we, we read passages of scripture, it, we see it through the lens of a 21st century first world we don't see it through the lens of the first century Middle Eastern culture in which Jesus found Jesus found himself um, and the apostles found themselves. You know, for example, we don't know what to do with verses like you will be delivered up even by your parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. We don't know what to do with that. So many times we just spiritualize that. Or we think, oh, that's for 2,000 years ago. That was probably, it was probably like that. And we don't realize, man, there are people dying. Someone sent me a video today of Christians out in Afghanistan that are being gruesomely murdered for their beliefs. And um, the Lord said this for the church in Revelation, if you don't read it, if you don't read that text through the lens of what they were experiencing, you will never get it. It says, do not fret about what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation, but be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. We don't read that through that lens. Like whenever I hear preachers preach that, I hear preachers emphasize the whole, you're going to get a crown of life. Mm. And you don't get the whole other part. The Lord was saying, hey, you're going to go to prison and you're going to be put to death. And absolutely, we need to pray. We need to pray for those, for God to deliver um, the Afghanistanian Christians. We need to pray forgot to to work but but more than that i feel like what we really need to pray for is for god to give them the courage to stand and to die for his name that's that's what apostolic context is you know um this gospel is not supposed to be preached in well it's supposed to be preached throughout all the world but if you look at where the apostles were sent, man, they were going, bro, these guys were going straight into hell to preach. Mm. And history tells us that all 12, with the exception of John, all died. They were martyrs. And, and this is just a far cry from what we're experiencing in, in today's day and time. And when the first church was persecuted in, in Acts chapter four, what did they pray for? They did not pray to be delivered. They did not pray that God would give them influence with the kings. Um, they said, now look at their threatening and grant us that we may preach the gospel with boldness. That's what they said. They asked for boldness. So I think we need to really force ourselves to watch the news, to read this, so that we may start getting an idea of what it truly means to carry the cross, to count the cost, to leave it all behind, to sacrifice it all. And that we may pray as well, Lord, 
give us the courage that when or if that ever shows up here in my nation, that I'm willing to stand for you and I'm willing to get my head decapitated for your name's sake, for your glory and for my good. I feel like that's what we need more in today's day and time. What a powerful word to us today. I wanted to get this one out as quick as I could so that you could be blessed by it. We were only able to cover a bit of what I wanted to talk to him about, so hopefully we can get him back on the podcast another time. He has such an amazing story to tell. If this blessed you, please share it with a friend and encourage them to follow the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and a number of other platforms. Just search The Hacker Podcast and you should find us. We are releasing content every week, and the best way to keep in touch is to subscribe or follow the podcast so it goes directly into your podcast feed. If you have time to rate and review the show where you listen to it, I would greatly appreciate that. Thank you again for your time today, and we look forward to seeing you next time on the Hacker Podcast.